Thank you uh, again, just for, as Mark mentioned, yes, uh, we feel extremely loved and cared for and appreciated. Uh, yes, through the events of one weekend and yes, over the course of 10 years. Uh, and so thank you very, very much uh, for all of the different ways. Uh, it really is a beautiful picture of a church functioning in a healthy way as conduits of God's love and grace and generosity uh, toward undeserving people like us. And so um, very, very grateful for uh, that past weekend. So thank you for that. Um, on Easter, that seems like a while back now, uh, but the central point of the message on Easter coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is that the gospel is a message that has been delivered by many, has been received. It's the message upon which we are standing, and it's the thing to which we're holding fast as God does the work of saving us. And so we are doing a six-week follow-up series. Rather than going through a book of the Bible from beginning to end like we normally do, we're taking a break from that, doing a six-week series where, where we want to make sure we are getting the gospel essentials kind of drilled into us in a really good way. Uh, and so the goal is that we would know these things so that we would be able to receive it, stand on it, hold fast to it, and so that we would be able to proclaim it to others. That's why we're doing it right alongside a Sunday school class for adults on evangelism. So those things aren't happening at the same time on purpose. If you didn't come to the first three weeks of that class, go ahead and come to the last two, the next couple of weeks. Uh, two Sundays ago then, we did the first sermon in this sermon series, and the title of that one was God Is. And the big idea was this, the gospel begins. So, so if we're going to share the gospel, which just means good news, if we're going to proclaim the gospel, if we're going to receive the gospel, if we're going to stand on the gospel, if we're going to hold fast to the gospel, we need to know what, how it begins. And the first essential element is this. The gospel begins with who the God who is the holy, almighty, eternal creator seated on the throne and worthy of worship. And I did, as usual, an inadequate job of expressing the glories of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ when we met two weeks ago. But I'm grateful for God's word and passages like Revelation chapter 4, which is what we went over two weeks ago, that highlight that. Now, today's message is a follow-up to that. And today's message only makes sense in light of what we went through together two weeks ago. So if you weren't here two weeks ago, I'd encourage you uh, to go back and listen to that on our website or on YouTube or podcast or wherever you, you listen to it. But we began with that title, God Is, and today is a contrast. Today, the contrast is we are. So the gospel begins with who God is. Week two, gospel essential number two is we are. Are. The, God, the, the scripture has a lot to say about who God is, and the scriptures also have a lot to say about who we are. So we could have turned to lots of different places. We are going to turn to Romans chapter 3, so if you have a Bible, open up to that. Two weeks ago, though, um, because <laughs> scripture has so much to say about who God is, what we wanted to do is, is begin our time together by confessing together. Here's a group of people from all sorts of different walks of life brought together and believing one core truth. There's some core truths about who God is, and we summarize that in our statement of faith. So we have, in the Evangelical Free Church, 10 articles of our statement of faith. 
we recognize we're coming from all sorts of different backgrounds, but these are the things that bind us together, what we believe, first and foremost, about who God is. So we confess together Article 1 of our Statement of Faith two weeks ago. Today, we're going to confess together Article 3 of our Statement of Faith, which is called the human condition. So this is a bit, a summary from all of Scripture to say, if we're taking all of Scripture and winnowing that down to here's Here's who we are as humans in like three sentences. This is, I think, a helpful summary. So if this on the screen is what you believe, go ahead and read over it because I don't want you to confess it out loud if you don't believe it. So I'll be quiet for a second. You go ahead and read that. All right. If you believe that, let's confess that together out loud. We believe that God created Adam and Eve in his image, but they sinned when tempted by Satan. In union with Adam, human beings are sinners by nature and by choice, alienated from God and under his wrath. Only through God's saving work in Jesus Christ can we be rescued, reconciled, and renewed. So, today we will look at a passage that states in clear and humbling terms who we are. So, gospel essential number one. The gospel begins with a God who is the holy, almighty, eternal creator seated on the throne and worthy of worship. And today, gospel essential number two. We're going to see this in Romans 3. We are sinners, all of us, accountable to God and unable to save ourselves. So, uh, if you're able, would you stand as we read the very word of God? And that humbles us, so let's let's pray. Uh, Father, we are humbled uh, by knowing even just a bit of who we are. And, and being able to, despite who we are, stand in your presence, a God who is the holy, almighty, eternal creator on the throne and worthy of our worship. And so thank you, Father, that you so clearly in your word tell us who you are and so that you so clearly in your word tell us who we are. Help us to see that, to believe that this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit bring about conviction of sin, bring about new birth through faith in Jesus, do in us what you need to do in us on this morning. We give ourselves now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. God's Word, Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, Both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Amen. You can be seated. Now, you will note as we walk through this, that I did not intend to pick this uh, for a Mother's Day passage on purpose, right? Um, but it is true, is it not, that we live in a broken world. And, uh, and so this really does apply to all of us all of the time, whether it's Mother's Day or any other Sunday or Tuesday or Thursday for that matter. So Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 20, quick bit of context. By the way, um, as we go through this Gospel Essentials series, three out of the six sermons are going to come out of the book of Romans. So a quick little bit of context. By, by the way, if you're just kind of like, I, I just feel like I need to get a little more grounded in the gospel. Like what is the gospel of Jesus Christ and how does it apply? The book of Romans and probably the book of Ephesians might be the most helpful for you to spend a lot of time in. Many people call Romans the greatest letter ever written. Remember that the author of the book of Romans is the Apostle Paul. We just got done weeks going through the, the book of Acts, and Paul was longing to get to Rome, remember. He wrote this letter to the church in Rome before he ever had gotten to Rome. He eventually did, but he wrote this letter first. So Paul writes this letter. I preached through it. It took, I looked at it, 44 sermons to preach through it in the years 2016 and 2017, and I was just scratching the surface. I would love to go back and preach through Romans again. I probably won't anytime soon, uh, but what a great book that makes the gospel, which means good news, so incredibly clear. A quick outline of the book without going to the latter parts, just to get us up to where we're at today. Basically, chapters, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, gives us an introduction not only to the letter, but an introduction to the gospel. And then, starting in chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through 320, which we just read through today, it's basically bad news. So he says this is going to be a letter about the good news, and then he takes two chapters to lay out the bad news. And if we're going to understand the gospel clearly and correctly, we need to look at the bad news. So today, we're going to look at the tail end of that section, 118 to 320. Next week, we're going to jump back and look at the front end of that passage. And then the following week, we'll get to look at the glorious transition to the good news. But here's the big idea today. We are sinners, all of us, accountable to God and unable to save ourselves. Now, inside your bulletin, there is a, a sermon notes and life group guide page. I know a number of the life groups are pausing right now, but you are certainly welcome in your home, on your own, with your family, whoever it might be, uh, to use this. Um, if you're doing it on your own, some of these uh, questions at the beginning uh, might not be as helpful, uh, but certainly the back page um, would be would be helpful for you to work on applying the word. But as you note inside this today, um, on the outline piece, I have all of us showing up in each of the three main points of the message, and I'm using all of us in a couple of different ways. And the first way in which I'm using that phrase, all of us, is looking at verses 9 to 12 and pointing out this. All of us as in every one of us. So when we're talking about 
who sin has affected or infected? The answer is all of us, as in every one of us. Let's look back at verses 9 through 12. Paul says, what then, are we Jews any better off? And his answer, no, not at all. Basically, chapter 1, he's proving that Gentiles are sinners before a holy God. To which some of the Jewish people, like Paul himself is Jewish, might say, yes and amen. And then in chapter 2, he flips it on them and says, and you too. And then in the end of chapter 3 here, he's just saying, all right, so I kind of covered everybody. Everybody who's not a Jew and everybody who's a Jew. And so what I'm saying is this, all of us before God are under sin. That's the phrase he uses in verse 9. What then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged, that's what he's been saying for two chapters, that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. When he talks about being under something, it's like being ruled by it. Okay? We're all together being ruled by sin. This is true of you and Greek. And then he's going to have, he says, as it is written. You see that at the beginning of verse 10? As it is written. And in, in my Bible, uh, these things have kind of a, a different formatting. They're indented because he's going to use a string of Old Testament uh, passages that, that string together to help him make and, and solidify this argument that all of us are sinners, as in every one of us. So, verses 10 through 12. Listen to these words as I go through this. Try to figure out if you can find a loophole through this. If he's saying all of us are sinners and, and our response naturally is to say, well, I'm the exception, see if, there's, see if there's room for like a loophole or an exception in verses 10 through 12. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. You notice there that there's really not a lot of like wiggle room. Like, oh, here's how I get out. Here's how I can explain that I'm not one of them. Like, no, not even one. All, no, no one. Over and over and over again in those scripture passages that he's quoting. You remember in elementary school when there would be a couple of kids and it was usually the same couple of kids in class who would do something wrong and the whole class would have to suffer for it? You remember, like, get so frustrated with that. I was usually on the end where I was like the exception. I wasn't the bad kid, but I suffered because of what's... What Paul is pointing out here is like, listen, we're all the bad kids. You're not the one who never did anything wrong. Before, and, and, and keep in mind... Well, I'll get to that in a moment. There might be pushback. I just want to acknowledge that. Because Paul is being very extreme in his language here. And when he says things like no, no one, no one, all, not even one, you might rightly ask the question, well, aren't some people righteous? I mean, no one does good? Really? There's all sorts of people that do good, aren't there, Paul? I mean, don't some people have some level of understanding? Don't some people seek God to some degree at least? And then, man, that one phrase in verse 12, together they've become worthless. Are we really all worthless? We just talked about all of us being made in the image of God. What's he, what's he talking about there? 
we need to keep in mind the context here is he's seeking to make an argument and and point people to this conclusion that he's made from the rest of Scripture that we are all sinful before God. I just think of my own life. Before God saved me, did I do some good things? Yeah, things that externally looked good. Did I look like externally that I was seeking God in one way or another even before God saved me? Yes. Yet apart from Christ, on our own, before we're saved, none of it adds up to coming close to anything that could save us. Our righteousness, our good deeds, our feeble attempts at seeking God are worthless when it comes to our salvation. Later in the book of Romans, chapter 14, verse 23, he says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. He's simply making the point that there's not exceptions, that all of us before God are sinners. Now, one thing we often like to do is compare ourselves to other people. Are there people that are worse than you? Yep. Right? But that doesn't change the fact that we're sinners. So, quick point of application before we move on. We need to just believe and proclaim that there are no exceptions. Uh, we were talking about this in our Sunday school class this morning. If you or someone that you're with, that, that you're sharing the gospel with, is unwilling to accept the reality that they're not an exception, if they're unwilling to accept the fact that they are a sinner before God, if they're convinced that they're pretty good and they don't need a Savior, the rest of the gospel isn't going to do them any good, right? That's why we need to start, I think, in the gospel with who God is. So that we have a standard against, because otherwise we're just measuring each other, uh, measuring up to like other people's standards. And we can always find somebody whose standard is lower than ours. And they're like, we're always doing fine. But we start in the gospel with who God is, a holy, righteous, eternal Almighty Creator, and when we start there, then we can look at ourselves and see our sinfulness and recognize that we, we can't even come close to measuring up to that standard. We don't see ourselves in a, as an exception. We're sinners, all of us, as in every one of us, no exceptions, and we need to believe and proclaim that. And then there's a second sense in which I use the phrase, all of us. And that comes from verses 13 to 18. So here's point number two. All of us as in every part of us. So before I was talking all of us as in like all of us. Now I'm talking all of us as in every part of us. Because that's what Paul is doing here in verses 13 to 18. Notice how he even walks like from up here all the way down to the feet and back up again. Again, he's quoting other scriptures, most of them from Psalms, where he says this, verse 13, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known there is no fear of God before their eyes. Isn't that accurate? God gave us a throat and it's like an open grave and the smell of death seeps out from it. God gave us tongues. And we use them to deceive. 
God gave us lips, and just under them is deadly venom. How many of you, even in this last week, have used words to sting others? You've poisoned somebody else's reputation by words that you've shared, even if they didn't hear them. God gave us a mouth, and instead of thankfulness, it's often filled with curses and bitterness. God gave us feet, used them to shed blood and walk on paths of ruin and misery, never walking down the road of peace. And then I think Paul saves this one for the end on purpose. God, here's what it says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. I think that's at the core of our sinfulness. We fail to fear God. Remember, what was gospel essential number one? The gospel begins with a God who is holy, almighty, eternal creator on the throne and worthy of worship. And what is the reality about us? There's no fear of God before our eyes. That's at the core of our sinful nature. We are rebels against God. Robert Murray Machine said this, if the heart of God were within the reach of men, it would be stabbed a million times in one moment. And so all of us are unrighteous and all of us is unrighteous. That's not bad grammar, right? That, that, that's just saying two different things. All of us are unrighteous and all of us is unrighteous. Verses 19 to 20 then, all of us are accountable and unable. Paul, being a Jewish person, himself a Jew, a Pharisee at one time, would probably get the argument back from one of his fellow Jews, but, but we have the law. Like, we're not, we're not as bad as them because we have the law. God gave us the law, and we've been trying our whole lives to keep it. We're not as bad as them, Right? And Paul, anticipating that argument, says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So so the law doesn't save you, it condemns you. The law doesn't keep you from sin, it points out your sin. The keeping of the law that we're able to do will never be able to justify us in God's sight. Uh, yeah, we'll just, we'll just do an actual like confession in church at, like by raising hands. How many of you have been pulled over for speeding? Yikes. <laughs> Uh, yeah if you're honest it probably isn't because your speedometer that wasn't working right if you're honest it probably isn't because they failed to put signs up that told you what the speed limit was no the sign and the speedometer did not stop you from breaking the law what the sign did is it revealed the law here's the limit And what the officer's radar gun and your speedometer revealed is your trespass of the law. You failed to keep the law. Perhaps you got off with a warning or maybe you were held accountable and forced to pay a fine for your law breaking. 
when it comes to God's law and our breaking of it, we are guilty of far more than doing 65 and a 55. We who were created to worship the eternal, almighty, holy God seated on the throne. We're created to worship Him and bring honor and glory to Him. And we have instead committed cosmic treason, rebelling against Him. And so, listen, consider this your warning. That you, like all of us, are guilty and will be held accountable because our God, our God is holy and he is a just judge and a price must be paid for our law-breaking, for your sin and for mine. We are sinners, all of us, accountable to God and unable to save ourselves. So, application. This truth that we are sinners... All of us, accountable to God and unable to save ourselves, that's a gospel essential. If you don't have that, you don't really have the gospel. Essential means you need it, right? So, like I did a couple weeks ago, let me just uh, run through a couple of things. If we don't include this essential element of the gospel, we don't think we deserve God's judgment. But if Scripture is right, and we are as bad and sinful as it says we are, then we know what we deserve. If we don't include this essential element of the gospel, the sinless perfection and substitutionary atonement of Jesus don't really seem all that necessary. But if we are as sinful as Scripture says we are, then we can't do it on our own, and we have a desperate need for a Savior. If we don't include this essential element of the gospel, we might just compare ourselves to others and wrongly think that we're doing just fine and God will accept us because we're pretty good and we're trying pretty hard. But if we are as sinful as Scripture says we are, we know that we're unable to save ourselves. Here's my hope, that every one of us would be convinced again and again of the depth of our sin. This is what led me to tears last Sunday after the elders and pastors were laying hands on me and praying for me, just wrestling with this reality that I am not the exception. That I am a sinner and I am infected to the core. On my own, I know there is no way that I could be or do what God requires. Do you believe this? And do you tell it to others? That there is no way for you to be and do what God requires on your own. We live in a you-can-do-anything-you-want-and-be-anything-you-want-to-be kind of world. That's the world that we live in. And so we are countercultural in the fact that we are people who are quick to say, no, we can't. We can't be and we can't do what is best for us. We can't be and we can't do on our own what God requires. We are sinners by nature and by choice, alienated from God and under His just wrath. Church, we not only can believe this, we, we should, and we should proclaim this to others. When Kirsten and I lived up in the Twin Cities from 2002 to 2005, we drove over the Mississippi River. That's a big river, you heard of it? On, 
I-35 bridge countless times. I don't know how many times we drove over that. Many others did too. I read it was the second most used bridge in the state. 140,000 people traveling on that bridge daily. But on August 1st, 2007, the bridge collapsed, killing 13 and injuring 145. There was zero warning and people died. People who are expecting, listen to this, people who are expecting that they will pass from earth over death into heaven on the bridge of their own goodness need to be warned that the world's most reliable source tells us that this bridge is going to collapse. Our own goodness, it's, it's a bridge that is failing. Your own attempts to be good, your own attempts to be made right with God, that is failing. And it's not only okay for us to tell people that they're sinners, it's actually quite unloving to know this and not tell people. I mean, imagine if somebody had known that that bridge would go down on that day and they chose to withhold that information from people because they didn't want to scare anybody. We must tell people the truth about their sin so that they get off the bridge that's going down. We must believe the truth about our sin so that we're not continuing to walk on a bridge that's about to fail. Listen, church, we don't gather together because we're, we're, we're gooder at others than at being good, right? That's not why we get together. We get together because we, we know how deep our sin runs. And we need to be reminded again and again of the gospel so that we might repent. That's what we're going to do as we take communion today. Be reminded of the gospel. But the message today shares gospel essential number two. And it's a stark contrast to this beautiful Revelation 4 picture of who God is. And then we've got this bleak picture from Romans 3 of who we are. That we are sinners, all of us accountable to God and unable to save ourselves. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us enough to tell us the truth even when it's bad news. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for not only telling us clearly who you are, but also being clear about who we are. We confess that we are sinners, all of us, every one of us, down to the core of our being, from our heads, through our lips, all through our bodies, down to our feet. We have sinned against others and ultimately against you. So God, I pray that if if we forget everything else, that you would help us remember, like John Newton once said, that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. And as we take communion now, would you help us to see the depth of our depravity and the even deeper depth of your mercy and love for us in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.